Good evening. You're listening to 101.9 FM CITR in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio, and the show is Stereoscopic Readout, International Women's Day Edition. And I have a very, very special guest with me right now who I'm very excited to have on the show, and you are? I am Elvira, otherwise known as Vera, or Ms. Fauxpas, or the person from Fauxpas Radio. CJSF, our sister station, as it were? the partner in crime exactly there we go now um yeah this is this is great um we're going to be spinning um we're going to be spinning woman-oriented tunes tonight yeah just a bunch of rad stuff exactly with ladies by ladies and celebrating the spirit excellent so what we just heard luscious jackson from back in 1993 i think yes um i don't know if this was an ep or mini album but this is uh, in search of manny it was released on grand royal so if you uh, if you like that check that out there's it's a really diverse album mm-hmm. find. and uh where are we going now we're g- b-girls 
Oh yeah, this is a, a classic. This is, the B Girls were a uh, Canadian all girl band. Um, I think they were put together kind of in the late seventies. Um, they didn't get much recognition in their day, and they kind of just put out a few singles and stuff and disappeared. But I think about eight to ten years ago, uh, their stuff was uh, reissued by which label was it? Um, other people's music. Yeah, and they collected all their recordings from 1977 to 1981. And we were listening to this last night, yeah. and then Darren was just like, yeah, let's not play the Go-Go's, let's play these girls. Exactly. And, so, and um, the one song we're going to play has become, I think, quite an anthem, and I have heard it covered by actually a few other girl bands, so oh, you yeah. might recognize it as well. Cool. This is Who Says Girls Can't Rock. Who's 
is the Stereoscopic Readout International Women's Day Spectacular with special guest Elvira B. Hello, everyone. So that was actually, what was that last thing? That was something you played last night, and I was going like, we simply cannot have a show tonight without that. Oh, definitely not. Um, That track was by Jan Banter. It was called, obviously, Scratch My Back. Um, It came out in 1966, and um, she actually did write the song. Um, she was from London at that time. And I think, I'm not sure if there was other stuff that she did or if this was the one big thing. Mm-hmm. But this appeared on a great kind of um, um, 60s girl comp called Scratch My Back. <laughs> it's uh, off the new Rubble series. It's volume five. Great, great, like... You're into the girl '60s pop garage rock action. This is the way to get some great obscure tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And before that, Sleater Kinney. Of course, come on, Sleater Kinney. They're they're like such a pivotal role in so many aspects, and uh, not only in this act, but the two girls, three girls, have been in a multiple other things of bands. And I have to um, have to admit that Carrie Brownstreet mm-hmm. is my all-time like girl rock star crush. Oh, yeah. um, she's in Portlandia now, and I just can't stop. Whenever she comes on, whenever she's in Portlandia, I always just say, "She's so cute. She's so cute. <laughs> she's so hot." So yeah, and um, she's actually kind of playing. They are all in little different solo bands, and herself and Janet are actually in this um, act called. Um, Wild Flag. They put out an album a few months back, and they actually did play in Vancouver as well. A little different, a bit more kind of, I don't know, 
rocky but without okay. the poppiness um they're great live i don't know their 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 cd or you know release hasn't really grown on me yet and uh corin tucker the other woman in the band she released a solo album a couple of years ago but you know there's a lot of us out there with kind of our soft spot for sleater kenny they put out about yeah. five albums in their time yeah carrie was an excuse 17 put out a couple albums like that in the early 90s um corn and heavens the betsy so definitely a classic and i think towards the end they were getting kind of the recognition that they uh, so rightly um deserve from yeah. various music critic sources yeah. yeah and carrie was i think the one of the only guitarists in rolling stones like top 100 guitarists of all time oh the only woman guitarist. yeah really yeah or she was one of two or something like that that's far out. Cause, yeah, like, I know. You'd think there were, yeah, I mean, because you could name, like, kind of others in there, mm-hmm. too. Like, I mean, even Wanda Jackson would be one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bo Diddley always had at least one woman playing in his band on guitar. Yeah, it makes yeah. me think. I'm like, who else was on that list? <laughs> 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 who picked that? Yeah. And what did we play before that? Oh, was that Joan? Joan Jett. Oh, my Bad goodness. Reputation. No explanation there. Yeah, like rock and none. roll standard. That's all you need to know. <laughs> oh, totally. And just the fact that she's still hitting it today is yeah. just awe-inspiring. I know. It was like uh, a few years ago, you know, I was listening to like Little Steven's Underground Garage when she released a new album. I think it was 2005. And it was like, it was, you know, it was like she never went away. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like some people, you know... Artists, they they have their heyday, and then as it keeps going, um, you know, like they, it, it's sort of like you get the impression that okay, they've lost it. They should just you know gracefully bow. And Joan Jett, no way. You mm-hmm. know, she was yeah, she's got it. She's still mm-hmm. got it. And off the top there, the B girls. Yeah, uh, so. we gave a little info about them as well. Great Canadian uh, group of uh, fun kind of poppy ladies. Yeah. And speaking of Canadian, we're going to hit the um, local scene, actually. We're going to be looking at or listening to a few local bands, some of whom I think Elvira and I actually probably saw it at the same time back in the day. Um, up first is Mecha Normal. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like, what a powerhouse. I, I'm always so proud, and it's just so cool. Like, Mecha Normal's from Vancouver. Um, you know, both members of that band were involved in various different artistic pursuits. And um, interestingly enough, I think they went on this tour way back when. It was called the Black Wedge Tour, and it was with other artists and spoken word people. And it was kind of like an anarchist awareness thing, very politicized, you know, kind of um, left-wing thing. And she, actually, I think she was stated by some women some some women from olympia in regards who were involved in you know what used to or what came in to be called you know riot girl or whatever as as her being an influence and she did actually play she always played for some of those festivals like um i don't want to say yo-yo a go-go but the international pop festival and stuff like that so she kind of had olympia connection there and um yeah both of them went on to different projects and i think this cd i think the one we're going to play is like from 1988 so they've been putting out music for ages um i'm I'm not sure what's coming up next but i'm sure they have their own things going on yeah i mean it's the one thing i remember about them too is that they were one of the most visually arresting local bands around because there was only two of them and they could just hold your attention like you know like not not a hell of a lot of other local acts definitely i think in order to really appreciate you have to see them live like david mm-hmm. lester is like doing the windmill with his arm playing and and gene is like flailing her hair and like running around with the exactly, microphone yeah. and and that was just really cool you know it, it wasn't like your uptight serious 
serious, um, you know, or totally cliche yeah. rock. Cool. Well, this is Vancouver's own Mecha Normal Blue TV on 101.9 FM CITR. <laughs> Now I'm not certain A blue light shines behind the curtain It's not erotic and it's not alive Blue TV flashes all those lies Stop a go now I'm not certain A blue light shines behind the curtain And it's not erotic
back with you on 101.9 FM CITR, and this is the Stereoscopic Readout International Women's Day special with special guest Elvira B. Yep. So that, um, that what we just heard was the only local band I've ever actually seen make the Air Canada in-flight playlist <laughs> back. Uh, how long ago was that? That was... What is this, like 2001, 2002? Yeah, must have been that. Would have been about that point when I saw them on the playlist. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, where did we start off? We started oh, off. Oh, wait, with, you never said about them uh, stealing your bass. Oh, they. <laughs> I think that um, at one point, too, they may have actually used my uh, a bass that once belonged to me when I was in the band Daytona. I had this, my first ever bass was this blue Mexican assembled Fender Precision bass, which I bought at Long and McQuaid in Surrey. And eventually I upgraded to a better bass and I sold it to a friend of mine who then lent it to Barb Sketch from Full Sketch. And I think I think it may have actually ended up in the hands of the organ at one point because <laughs> she was also involved with that project as well. But awesome. We started off with Mecha Normal and then went to Cub. Now you have a um you have an interesting um connection with Robin from Cub, right? Oh, I guess so. Way back when, uh, back when um, I used to do a show at CITR. Oh my goodness, this is like 1994 it started. And it was um, myself and uh, a friend and we went under the name Little Twin Stars and it was supposed to be like kind of a girl positive thing. And, um, I, uh, and um, we were given the slot and we were only supposed to be once every two weeks because the person who did the show the other week, which... Um, we discovered was actually Robin from Cub and uh, she was away on tour you know they had just gotten quite big then so she was having someone fill in to her show but the problem is the fill in wasn't showing up and he kind of like ditched out so that's how we got our regular time slot so we were on I think it was Fridays I think at that time it was right before our Nardwaraz show maybe about 2 to 3.30 in that and uh, yeah so that was kind of cool and and, uh, she worked I don't know if she still works there but at Aquarius Records down in San Francisco she worked in the kind of the mail order room and I used to order tons of music from them I I was just a total geek I'd pour over their email lists and order stuff and I hadn't ordered something for quite a while and then I think it was about a year and a half ago I put an order I got tons of records and there was this little note there and I was like hi Elvira it's so good to see your name (laughs) which was hilarious because I don't think we've ever met face to face so it was kind of like the name recognition like oh that's that radio girl and probably because I always like just get old like um punk compilations and reissues and weird stuff through them um but yeah Aquarius Records nonetheless whether a girl from Cub is still working there or not you should check out their stuff um it's AquariusRecords.org mm-hmm. yeah cool uh and then Mao after Cub we played some <laughs> Mao and that's actually also worth mentioning um the sort of quote unquote controversy about Mao um <laughs> Back in the day, also, it's it's a trivia time. Uh, none other than Nico Case played drums for Mao yeah. at the time when they started yeah. out. They were around briefly, but you remember the controversy. Yeah, so I don't know if listeners know or not about um, what's called Shindig. It's kind of like CITR's Battle of the Bands, and, you know, they 
break it off. They have three bands play, and you know they have semifinals and finals. Mm-hmm. So, so Mao made it to the finals, and uh, you know the thing about Mao is that they had a bit of a shtick to them. Um, they dressed up in kind of like cat costumes, so yeah. kind of like sexy fishnets and little like homemade cat ears and stuff like that. And um, so you know. I wouldn't say it was style over substance, but it was kind of a combo, you know, and, mm-hmm. and compared to a lot of the bands that were playing in Shindig that year, like, I think this was mid-90s, you know, it was still yeah. kind of grungy and, and you know, you know, guys kind of moping over their car- guitars with, like, baggy clothes and final final shirts and that. Mm-hmm. So it was really stood out. And they made it up to the finals. They were one of three bands. And I remember it happened at the Starfish Room, and the place was packed. I think, really, people showed up just to see Mao because there was all this hype about them. You know, people weren't even involved with the radio station and stuff. And just because they were kind of fun and party band, and, and they looked cute and that. So, and then, apparently what happened, and then the judges get together and talk after all the bands had played. And um, there was this long delay waiting for who was going to win and it's funny because we all knew it was like they were kind of debating amongst themselves because everyone in the crowd they just wanted Mao to win they're fun they're they're cute and all this and that but I, I strongly suspect that the um judges were kind of like partial like oh this band is more musically proficient but um in the end they had to give give um mao the the, the winner and i remember reading sometime after that in an interview she's like yeah we won because we were the cutest or something <laughs> like that and she laughs and she's like yeah we used that money to record you know our first cd so she's like yeah we scammed out of it you yeah. know and they were totally you know in control it was there and it wasn't like their dressing up thing was like some like sexy, cheesy, I don't know, pussycat dolls thing. It was just more like this uh, kind of ironic type phase of it. Yeah. Yeah, because I know I saw them a couple of years after that and they completely ditched the, um, like, the, the shtick at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. And that. Um, after Mao, we heard from uh, The Cinch. Mm. Uh, that was, uh, they, they were around very briefly, but they were, you know, they were sort of like a... Uh, I guess kind of a sister act to uh, the Nasty on, as it were. But right. uh, there's a lot, a lot of who's who, like uh, Jen Smythe singing, um, Mark Epp on guitar, a couple of the guys who had been in the um, in uh, the Nasty on uh, as the rhythm section. I know that I think Matt was on bass, but um, you heard uh, forwards and backwards, and then. I was actually surprised when you played this for me last night because I completely forgot about them, was Crevice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, there's stories behind that band as well. Um, well, first off, there is about eight members in this band. All girls, <laughs> mostly mm-hmm. guitars. There was one drummer in there, maybe a bassist. And uh, they were kind of, I believe, formed as a dare or as a challenge to um, Superconductor at that time because the band Superconductor also had quite a few musicians. They were around Vancouver for a bit. And so, you know, the the uh, one of the members kind of pulled all these different women together and they um, both played a show together because mm-hmm. I think the dare was like, oh, you should have an all-female version of Superconductor and play things. And so they pulled it together. And... Um, you know, they did record, at least when I know, two 7-inches, and I did see one of their tracks on a like kind of an Olympia-based 
compilation. So, um, you know, it's pretty lo-fi and it's a little messy, but if you have eight people who aren't really musicians like playing guitars and having feedback in a lo-fi <laughs> band, it gets that way. But um, I did get to see them, but I saw them, I guess, in their quote-unquote later years, like 95, oh, yeah. and they had scaled back to, I think, five members. So it was a little different, but... Yeah. But uh, I just couldn't imagine like seeing that first show with like oh god, girls, like, I would have just been like in my girl band glory, you know. <laughs> and I should throw this out here that we are playing kind of a lot of classics, I guess, from our days in the nineties yeah. and that. There's there's no way we can go through everything, and there's so many great local bands and that. But we're sticking to stuff that's kind of not on the playlist and uh, going through some classic kind of garage and some good old indie and yeah, you know, rock and bringing back some things that some people may have forgotten about. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And then, um, as we already mentioned, after that, the organ from the uh, Grab That Gun CD. And mm-hmm. I am not surprised. Um, where are we at here? Coming up on 25 minutes after 8. Uh, up next, as part of the uh, sort of revamping of the daily schedule for International Women's Day, we have Dorothy, who's going to be giving you an hour of garage and a female-fronted garage and blues rock. Oh, wow. Uh, Nicole is in for an hour after that, and then there will be coverage starting at 11. Yeah, coverage at 11 of the UBC women's basketball and volleyball features. So that's the... It's going to take you to midnight, and that's our 24 hours of International Women's Day programming for you. Up next, um, I wanted to play... I wanted to make sure I got uh, Buffy St. Marie on the playlist tonight just because she was really um, she was really the, the Canadian woman who opened doors for uh, Canadian singer-songwriters in the folk scene in uh, you know North America in the early 60s. And uh, certainly with her, you know, with making, uh, certainly her being like kind of icebreaker as it were, you know, we got, uh, you know, South of the border, uh, people like Ian and Sylvia uh, got more exposure, and uh, later on, Joni Mitchell got more exposure. So, uh, respect to Buffy St. Marie. This is from her 1970 album, album, Illuminations, where she discovered the early synthesizers. And um, it's a song called Poppies for Mr. Allerton. Probably came into its own later on as an influence. I think it was mentioned by uh, Susie Sue as being a bit of an influence on uh, sort of Susie and the Banshee's later direction. But this is, well, you can listen for yourself. Sleep in your Oh, my 
Oops, pays to pay attention. <laughs> You're back into the uh, last 20 minutes of uh, Stereoscopic Readout this evening on 101.9 FM with our very special guest, Elvira B. Um, let's see, what was it? Oh, Rose Sarasothea. Um I wanted to get that in because it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of a sad story, but it's, uh, it's also really compelling. Um, she was part of the whole, um, I guess you'd call it the Cambodian modernization program in the early seventies. Um, after the military junta overthrew, uh, Prince Nordam Sihanouk. Um, now where is this going? Uh, the new regime wanted to sort of bring the 20th century into Cambodia, um, ironically, this all was happening during the uh, height of the American involvement in Vietnam. So a lot of their exposure to Western culture came via Armed Forces Radio Vietnam. Um, unfortunately, Rose and many of the musicians and technicians and uh, you know recording people that she would have worked with disappeared during the Khmer Rouge period. So she unfortunately I, as far as i'm aware nobody's nobody knows what ever happened to her but that is um that's a song of hers which in i think it translates as sweet 16 but happily um i can say that she, her and um the other music that was being made by other artists around the same time was obviously a gigantic influence on dengue fever who's uh basically going around with the same format playing acid rock with a Cambodian singer um, and they're doing quite well there was actually there is a documentary out about them finally returning to Cambodia or playing in Cambodia before that um, actually a band called Mr. Airplane Man you turned me on to them last night as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah just a great kind of a release came out Oh, I don't know, early 2000s or so it was put out by Sympathy for the Record um, Industry um, two gals they're a duo uh, just good lo-fi kind of garagey stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, um, I also couldn't let this show happen without playing some Nico <laughs> um, from Marble Index. You heard Evening of Light, and then off the top there, Buffy St. Marie with Poppies for Mr. Allerton. Now the show shifts gears yet again. What are we going to listen to next? Well, you know... When we talk, uh, female empowerment involves many things, you know, um, it's not just the political and the personal, but, you know, it's um, being good and feeling good in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And there's one artist in particular who really touches upon, let's just say, the sexual liberation of women in a very... um, forward way okay and i'm proud to say she started off in canada toronto um i don't remember her original name it's leslie something but Mm -hmm. uh she goes under the name peaches sweet yeah so let's uh groove out and uh put on those hot pants and uh just get busy in front of your bedroom mirror awesome this is trick-or-treat Without a piece of raw meat Keep my girls kinky and a hole in the sheet 
Play guitar! 
Can you play guitar? We don't play guitars. We don't play guitars. We don't play guitars.
Technical difficulties. <laughs> um, that was the bags. and uh, Yeah, and uh, I had to throw that out there because I got the uh, pleasure of meeting um, kind of the... Oh, the front woman of the bangs or the bags. They, she was in town on Sunday. She's just um, released a book. Um, it's called Violence Girl, and she was doing a little reading and musical performance at um, Red Cat Records. Mm-hmm. And I've been reading through it. Amazing story, so well written. She has an interesting backstory. She's, um, uh, you know, grew up kind of traditional Mexican family, just out of um, L.A., the kind of the center there, and. Um, you know, came from a really harsh background. It was interesting how she did the transition to, like, inner-city gang-ridden schools into, like, she was a big glitter rock fan and going into punk rock. And, and she was talking about how the scene in terms of punk and that was really different. And she's like, it was far more equal than it was today. Like, mm-hmm. women, queers, etc. were all kind of, like, integrated. It was just, like, this kind of, like, melting pot. And she's like, that was kind of interesting because yeah. even within the 90s that you didn't see it it was kind of segregated yeah. Um, so yeah the, the book I definitely recommend you know stories about the band and not just stories about her life which is just fascinating kind of growing up with the cultural references and stuff yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because that's one of the um, the things I, I, I don't normally hear about punk, which is definitely true, and I think it needs more uh, exposure, is just the fact that that was, I think, the first musical movement which actually yeah. treated women as complete equals. Like, anybody could just come in and do as they, mm-hmm. you know, I, as, if you wanted to start a band, it didn't matter who you were mm-hmm. or what, you know, it's... Um, like more so than, you know, any, I guess even like, you know, in the 60s, you could talk about there being a lot of girl groups, but... It was. They were still kind of. There's. You know. Even though there were like great girl groups, they were still kind of had treated like novelty acts. In a way. Yeah, and a lot of them were just kind of front people for you know other people's songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their own. Yeah. But uh, female fronted punk before that. Um, what was it? Did you say they were from Seychelles or? Seychelles? I don't know. Some tiny town. 